episode 211 of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're well. I'm Eddie Cohn, host, creator, producer of the podcast, of the show you're listening to right now, and thrilled you're here today. I am recording the intro in the afternoon. Normally I do the recording at night, but my cats have this tendency to be absolutely insane at night, so I'm going to try and record this quick intro before Leo and Nellie enter the studio and cause insane ruckus everywhere. Really thrilled to welcome Gaia Woods to the show. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Los Angeles. And she's also an artist, a photographer. That's how I got to meet her. Probably been like 10 to 12 years ago I met her. And I have really been thinking a lot about mental health for a variety of reasons. I think obviously because of the virus that has sort of been omnipresent in our society over the last couple of years, you know, health is a big part of my life, something I take um, very seriously. And as I'm watching all of these pundits and television personalities and politicians not really talking enough about mental health in our society. At what point are we going to take mental health seriously? And I know these are very difficult areas and subjects with a lot of nuance to talk about, and there's no quick, easy fix. But something that I think about a lot you know, I've I've dealt with physical health issues, but I, I really do believe the mental state of the mind plays such a deep role in one's health. And I I often think maybe it's more important than the physical. I mean, maybe the physical is happening because the mental health is unstable. The anxiety levels are so high. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know who to turn to. And I think, and I speak to Guy about this, and obviously we talk about a lot of these subjects, But I really think so many of our issues today could be resolved or alleviated, issues being mental, uh, issues relating to mental health. I think so many could be alleviated if we have people in our life that truly know how to listen and or make us feel like we're being heard. And, And unfortunately, I think there's so many agendas that I think people are distracted I think the world, the tech-obsessed world we live in now is really promulgating uh, speaking, talking, looking, but what are we doing to slow down and listen? So that's part of the reason why this podcast is audio only. I've, I've been asked and I've thought about making a video, but I really think so much of our world is visually based that... I'm going to I'm going to hold tight right now and keep it audio only. So Gaia really means a lot that you took the time to speak to me on the show. Gaia's Instagram, I believe is private, but if you type in Gaia Woods in Google, I'll certainly have links to her website in the notes of this show, but Gaia Woods, G A E A Woods, if you're looking for a therapist, if you know somebody who's looking for a therapist, reach out to Gaia. If Guy is booked, maybe she knows somebody, but I just really think it's important to surround ourselves with people that can listen lovingly, with support, with no judgment. So hopefully this this show, this episode brings those important elements to light a little bit more. So Guy, I really appreciate you speaking to me. Again, you can find Gaia online, type in her name, Gaia Woods and Google. We'll get right to the show. You know where to find me on social at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. You know my book, Sexy Spiritual AF Yoga, is available now on Amazon. I have new music that's been slowly released over the last year. You can find it on Spotify. I have a new single coming out in a couple weeks. I've got another fantastic guest lined up later this week, Lee Hester. He's a singer-songwriter based out of Nashville. Remember, if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, head over to iTunes maybe and give it a five-star review. And that is it. Gaia, thanks again for taking the time to speak to me. It was wonderful. And as always, thanks to you for listening, supporting, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. 
Likewise, it's good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you still in the same spot that I photographed you at this point years ago now? Gosh, I doubt no, probably. That's no. right. You actually I think you you did photos for me a couple times, I think. Yeah. Did we do a couple sessions? I know there was one in a studio that we did. Um, yeah. that was in like Van Nuys, but God, maybe, I don't know. It was quite a while ago, yeah. but I feel like it was. We, a while ago. It was. Yeah. 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 Are you, you're still here in LA. I'm still here in LA. I'm in beautiful Los Feliz in my office. So uh-huh. yeah, I'm thinking a lot, I'm thinking a lot, but, um, <laughs> when I knew you first, you were immersed in the world of creativity. Yeah, I was. So, and I'm, I'm the thing about creativity. I, I feel like that sort of ebbs and flows and never goes away but pre yeah. pre the world of of psychology and and therapy um yeah. although, although this could still be part of your life but let's let's backtrack a long time ago or maybe it won't be that long but just like what inspired you to sort of venture into the world of creativity and photography and and other creative outlets what, what was sort of your first taste with that sure you mean kind of like pre pre-psychology, pre-therapy, kind of just creativity world. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I guess probably I was always exposed to art and artistic practices growing up, but then I was a, a model when I was a teenager. I actually kind of left home and moved to Europe um, when I was just a bright little 16-year-old child, literally right. a child. Um, and I, I actually did that professionally for a few years, and I liked it. It was a wonderful opportunity. I got to travel. It, lifestyle was it wasn't a super healthy lifestyle for me. Yeah. Um, but it really exposed me to photography, which is kind of what I wound up studying. It, which is not kind of which is what I wound up studying in school, and which is kind of what led me to a more kind of creative path. So I studied photography in undergrad, and then career-wise kind of worked kind of all avenues of that sphere. So I worked as an agent for commercial photographers for a number of years. And then I moved over to the agency side and I worked in kind of entertainment advertising, um, which is, I know where we have a mutual friend from that. Uh Um, And then, and then I kind of launched out on my own and did my own kind of commercial photography practice. And then at that point I was really, trying to kind of find a sense of like deeper meaning and connection in the work. And it just kind of wasn't like happening for me in a way that I really wanted it to. Um, well, I'm curious about that um, because you're, you're interesting because there's sort of this duality element in the sense that I want, I could easily talk for an hour with you about creativity, but I also have, yeah. an, but I also have an incredible interest towards um, sociology and how tech and social media has impacted our life. But yeah. I think I think inspiration and creativity is such a valuable part of the human species and sort of our growth and just finding a way to express ourselves and and it's sort of this intimate relationship that we all have with our sort of inner voice or inner artist. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a lot of chutzpah and, and to to put it all out there and, and try to pursue it potentially professionally. Um, I, I think it's just, and I think now especially, the expectation is we all need to sort of reveal ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody has a podcast and everybody's like posting this and that on social media. And there is this sort of intimate quality, quality with, with art where, you know, the best artists could be flipping burgers at like in and out or working at um, a hardware store down the street, but because they mm-hmm. don't feel like putting themselves out there, and, and this comes with no judgment, you know, we just, we'll, yeah. never, we'll never know of them. Um, sure. So, yeah. I mean, did you, and you were a model, I didn't even know that, where you're obviously putting yourself out there uh, mm-hmm. physically. Did you sort of feel this sort of intersection and confusion with, you know, being an artist and and it seems like maybe this led to transitioning? I don't know. But what what were some sort of hurdles and things that you were noticing in your own work society as you were pursuing that world of artistry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always, at least for me in my creative practice, it was always about trying to kind of blend it with what, with 
kind of blend my vision of what I wanted to achieve with the goals of a client or with, you know, if it was me representing photographers with trying to kind of, you know, be a salesman of that person's work in a way that felt really authentic, making sure that I only represented talent that I really could get behind and just kind of trying to really blend something that felt like it was important on an artistic level with sort of commerce. And that always just felt really complicated and just sort of at the end of the day for me was too much of a mental gymnastics for me to have to do to feel like I could kind of work with the types of clients that I would want to work with consistently where I would feel really fulfilled and, and kind of like I was able to make the kind of work that I, that I wanted to make. And so now in my photography practice, which I still do have, a little bit of a practice and I'm pretty busy as far as other career avenues and personal avenues as well. But at least now in my photography practice, I don't answer to anybody. <laughs> so yeah. I get to make the work that I want. And that is really fulfilling for me when I do sort of get into the studio or do whatever practice I'm, I'm doing for a specific project. Yeah. Was there sort of a tipping point where, um, Again, inspiration. What, what was what was inspiring the transition into getting into therapy and and into therapy? Oh yeah. Well, I love telling this story because it's kind of a, a funny, happy accident that also does have a little bit to do with creativity in a way, um, and also starts with a breakup, like every good story. Right. <laughs> um, so basically, I was going through a, a kind of a bad breakup and was just feeling like total shit. <laughs> And I started a podcast with a close friend of mine. And the whole idea for the podcast was us to create a space where we could have really open conversations about, you know, heartache and love and sex and dating and relationships and just have it be a really kind of honest space to have these conversations. I realize this is also what many people think when starting a podcast, that their conversations with their friend is, you know, are the most exciting and wonderful conversations. And so, of course, everyone's going to want to hear these conversations. Right. Maybe that's a little naive, but we made it really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we made it kind of a like a Q&A show. So people would call in or text in with their love, dating, sex, relationship questions. And eventually she love her is a world traveler and has a very free spirit and we couldn't the scheduling wise she was like in bali for six months doing yoga and so eventually it kind of became more more my baby of a show and so i started posting it with other kind of guest guests on and i would interview people and it just became a really wonderful fun space to have these kind of really raw and like deep conversations with either guests that would call in or or listeners that would call in, or with my guests that I would have on. And so what that opened up to was in my personal life, people would just start approaching me with Mm. all their most intimate details of their lives and just come to me with really wonderfully vulnerable questions. And it was the most exciting and just fun and invigorating kind of experience because I love connecting with people on, on a kind of deep, like vulnerable level and hearing about the stuff that's, that they're really struggling with or the things that are really, you know, vulnerable to them. And then people also kind of started telling me how comfortable they felt with me talking to me about these things, even though they didn't really maybe know me that well. Right. Um, and so then it kind of started planting this seed of, oh, I could do this for a living. I could have conversations with people about you know, whatever they're struggling with in their relationships and get paid for it and get trained in it and try to understand yeah. the the sort of, you know, science of behavior and of the mind and of these other kind of components of psychology that goes beyond just the kind of like creating space for someone to feel comfortable. Yeah. So hence the, the sort of transition. So is this, I, I God, there's so many things that I've, I've jotted down and thought about, but is this the best of times or I'm not going to say the worst of times. Is this the most, is this the most anxiety inducing time ever? Or, 
do we only know what we know? Like 30 years ago, did people think that that was, you know, the greatest of times to live, but also incredibly um, traumatic at, at points? I, I, I have a sort of a glass half empty perspective on the world um, when it comes to uh, it's. Sorry, don't forget what I just said, because I often ask a question without asking a question. Um, but I, for one, love actually hearing people's voices. I, for, yeah. one, I for one, love uh, phone calls. And I feel like people like me have a hard time navigating this tech-obsessed, uh, convenience convenience uh, sort of takes precedent over everything. Like, I know it's not as convenient to have a phone conversation. Everybody just wants to text. But um, I'm reminded every time I have a guest on the show, every time I have people over for dinner or lunch, I I need those types of three-dimensional elements. So back to sort of what I was originally saying, is is this, as a therapist, are you... um, What's your perspective on on sort of, of what's going on uh, and the and the sort of the influx of insane technology going on? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different ways that technology can obviously enrich our lives, but also, you know, we had kind of touched on when we were emailing about kind of talking about social media a little bit, and I think that you know, that is one of the areas that it gets really complicated because there is such a slippery slope of comparison and kind of getting in your head about where you should be versus where you're at and that that can bring up a lot of anxiety and that we're all kind of so connected to each other and we can get in touch with each other at a moment's notice. Yeah. And that's maybe actually not good. I mean, a lot of that is not good, especially the comparison part, but that the being able to kind of access everyone's lives so easily and so readily is, is not normal and is maybe not healthy for our brains or for us as kind of social creatures. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. We are social creatures. And so I think our experiences are enriched being socially active but I think there's a strange, uh, almost hypnotic trance or trickery happening because all of these sort of uh, face-to-face experiences, you know, look, I don't know if, if the statistics are right, but if you listen to this podcast, not this one, mine, but if you listen to this one or that one or whomever's, they'll all say that depression's on the rise, uh, teenage suicide mm-hmm. is greater than ever before, um, specifically with women. Uh, and these are coming from the New York Times and John Hopkins and, and reputable uh, health institutions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic, but but one can also say, how do you analyze these great problems just by statistics? So, you know, everybody is their own, mm-hmm. uh, has their own nuance to their own experiences. Um, I, I just, I think we need social connection and we obviously are social creatures, but I think we're being tricked to use to sort of uh, implant these social activities, but we're using a phone instead. And I think that mm-hmm. potentially is where some of the problems might be uh, deriving, com- uh, might be coming from. Yeah. Just the kind of clunkiness of the devices and of the ways that we're trying to connect with yeah. each other. I mean, yeah. I are your, a lot of your, uh, I mean, obviously for, you know, um, private reasons. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to. I don't want you to reveal any personal uh, information, obviously. But um, I, when you started pr- your practice, how is it sort of? Sh- have you noticed a shift in in clientele, or uh, over the last, especially over the last couple of years because of the pandemic? But then, you know, have, do you see a, a shift because of? Is it easy to say it's because of technology? It's because of social media, or is it? Not that simple. Is it much more nuanced than that? Oh, that's a big question. I think that, well, I think the pandemic is sort of a separate issue. It's so hard to kind of combine the the pandemic with social media or just with technology, because I think it is a really difficult time for a lot of people, you know, right now during the pandemic, even though things are opening back up and, you know, it's, well, I don't know, here in Los Angeles, we're having kind of another 
mini wave. I don't even know if they're calling them waves anymore. It seems like everyone's so sick of talking about it. But, you know, I think the pandemic obviously has been incredibly difficult on people's mental health. And I know I'm certainly, you know, getting a lot more phone calls than I would be, uh, you know, than I was a couple of years ago, let's say. Um, but I think that that is still a, a super separate issue from kind of how technology interfaces and how, how we kind of stay connected with technology. And I think it also depends per kind of age group too. Cause I think, you know, I work with, um, teens, some teen clients in my practice and it's so interesting the way that, you know, they use technology and, and social media. And it's sort of just like another body part is their phone or, you know, it's just like, it's a part of their lives. And yeah, you could say, Oh, it's ruining people's attention spans or, you know, people are so distracted or you're chasing the dopamine of the getting the like on your, you know, Instagram photos or whatever. And that might all be true, but it also lets people stay connected and it is a social space. And there is a sense of, that sort of peer acceptance that is so important, which I think also the flip side of that is when that kind of turns around and then you feel rejected or you're, you know, cyberbullying or whatever kind of specific evil there is on the social media space, which there's lots of evils to it. But I think that it's always going to be something that, you know, exists in a teenager's life in a way that's actually really helpful, but yeah. of course comes with its, its downfalls and sort of downsides as well. Yeah. I mean, for you, do you put boundaries? Um, are you aware of like, oh, I, I, I've been on this social media platform for half an hour, I need to stop. Or, you know, I've just watched five episodes in a row of Netflix and my brain is not. Uh, I mean, do you, do you sort of have these strict, uh, um, quote unquote, policies where you're, you're aware of, of how it's affecting your brain? Uh, uh, what do you do to sort of navigate that yeah I mean I think that for me it's more just about trying to be aware of what my intention is if I'm using social media or if I'm just using my computer if I'm watching tv or if I'm on my phone just really kind of being straight up with what I'm wanting out of it and so recognizing if I'm wanting to just zone out and just have like a really silly dumb kind of mindless show experience at the end of a hard day just doing that and having that be okay, mm. but not lying to myself and, you know, binge watching five episodes of thinking that I'm going to like get something really meaningful out of this experience. And similarly with the social media, trying to be more, you know, active when I'm using it in a way that makes me feel good. So kind of trying to avoid some of the just mindless scrolling and be more intentional about, like searching for friends that I care about and seeing what they're doing. If the algorithm has taken all of their stories away or, you know, I'm not kind of seeing them or actually messaging people on there and trying to kind of have conversations that might be slightly more casual than a text message, but still is meaningful in some way versus again, just kind of mindlessly being sucked into something. So for me, it's just knowing what I'm trying to get out of something and if I'm trying to kind of stay connected or if I'm trying to kind of dissociate or just kind of like get out of my head, then being honest with myself about those times and then potentially not engaging with technology and maybe trying to figure out what's really going on with me that, that I kind of want to escape or that I kind of want that extra dopamine hit of, you know, a like or whatever it is that I'm kind of searching for. Yeah. Isn't it funny though how... I was thinking two things as you were talking. Like before social media and tech, we got to know people over, I think, you know, a year or two or three or five years, whether it was in school or friendships. And I don't like how I make judgments about people based on what they post on social media. Like, I, it's, it's weird. I, and also, I don't like how... As an artist, um, I don't like how social media makes me think about what people think. Mm -hmm. Do you know? It's so it's it's weird. Like, I mean, to your point, yes, it connects us. They can feel very innocuous, but I do think, um, I I think it's really 
reshaped humanity and and such a such a dramatic way. And I think all I'm trying to do here is bring make people aware of, huh, are you reacting this way because this is actually truly how you feel, or is it because of algorithms or you're tired and you've spent the last half hour just scrolling? I, I think is is self-awareness something that you sort of you know talk about in in, in your practice and and how important and how do we even achieve self-awareness is that something that could be taught or or I don't know especially these days yeah well i feel like the i'm sort of a what's the metaphor is uh to a hammer, everything is a nail, yeah. <laughs> I think is the saying. But I think that usually with my clients, I wind up talking about social media when it's a problem. So when it's something that is either consuming too much of someone's time or they're comparing themselves to people on social media and feeling bad about their lives or they're looking at an ex's Instagram too much or you know an ex's social media. So I guess in those types of situations when it's coming to a time, like when it's coming to a situation where it's causing a problem, then we try and kind of break down the problem. And so I would, I would kind of just say that similarly is always kind of going to be helped by if you're being mindful of what is the intent that you're trying to use something. And in that way, I think to, to answer your question, you definitely can can teach self-awareness through practices like mindfulness and through, you know, checking in with yourself before you use social media or your phone or whatever it is during and after. Similar to like you would if you have a friend in your life and you're not sure how you're feeling about that relationship or, or a dating relationship, just checking in with yourself before you see the person during when you're spending time and then after. It's a super simple you know, sort of mindfulness, quote unquote, exercise, but it's really just trying to help you understand your feelings about something. And at, at that level of just sort of baseline understanding, you can make a lot of decisions about is something actually enriching your life or is it is it kind of causing you some amount of suffering that maybe you can cut out pretty quickly. I was just thinking, um, as you were speaking, the other area that is interesting to me with social media is, and yet not even just like the, the world, like sort of to your point earlier where you're making fun of your own podcast, like we all, it feels like we all think that everything we say or do <laughs> is so relevant and so important and worth sharing. And it's, it's sort of, uh, I think it's sort of, added this strange narcissistic quality to the world like everything we do is worth sharing or or, or valuable but, but then I sort of coupled with I was even thinking as a therapist you know you're only hearing one person's uh, grant you could be also a couples therapist but you're only, you're only hearing one person's side of the story mm-hmm. and I was even thinking a judge or a jury or like these videos we see where you know, we're racing to judgment, but all we hear is one side of the story. And I do feel like so much of our world and our lives these days is, is, is reacting to one side of the story. A reality is shaped based on, I think, two sides of the story or, or multiple sides of the story. So Yeah, well, as you were talking, I was also just, I mean, very much agreeing that, you know, the way that we share information now is kind of narcissistic to think that everyone is going to think that our lives are so special because we're sharing them. Um, but also just the, the funny part about that, like you can really care about someone, but not need to know so much about them Hmm. and, and not need to kind of have so much information you know, the story, the constant story updates, which I mean, I love Instagram. I'm updating my stories all the time. I love sharing stuff about my life. And I also try and maintain a realistic understanding that a lot of people are not going to care and that's fine. (laughs) You know, I'm happy if like my few friends see my stories and respond with like sweet day, like that's, that's good enough for me. Um, but I think that it is 
a strange experience to kind of get caught up in and and to kind of delude yourself into thinking that you're so special and that everyone, you know, should care about, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're doing. And maybe that sounds cynical, but I think that it's coming from a place of that we all have a limited amount of time. We all have busy lives and, you know, there's a, a kind of a, a fluffiness to a lot of the social media stuff that, that I see that I just, I don't like, I don't have emotional energy for, I don't have kind of the, um, yeah, it's, it's like just, uh, it's not that it's unimportant, but it's, it's too much information. It's just like too overwhelming. And maybe that's also because I'm a pretty social person and I, I do have a lot of friends that I follow on, on Instagram and on social media. And I, you know, when I look on there, I do want to kind of know, but I, I get too overwhelmed and it's like, it's too much details. And to your point earlier about the importance of that kind of one-on-one connection, I find myself after scrolling for a long time, just wanting to connect with people on a deeper level over a phone call or, you know, text a friend or, you know, do something that has more of a kind of slightly deeper meaning or a little bit more kind of personal connection that I feel like I'm choosing. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I was thinking about that person, you know, triggered is the, is the sort of um, in word right now. And, and, Mm -hmm. and I hear this, I feel like, it's weird. I'm I'm conflicted by it because, you know, so you could be out at a bar or in a restaurant and somebody says something really negative and, and derogatory, and it really hurts your feelings, and and I can see, and people you know that are out there judging will say, well, you know, you still can't hit them or you can't take out a knife, and and like I get that, mm-hmm. like no, you can't hit somebody or. Um, take out a knife. And there's this person at the Dave Chappelle concert who was saying that, uh, who walked on stage with a knife. Uh, you know, he was saying that he felt triggered or, or I don't remember if it was a woman or a man, but anyway, they felt that they were triggered. So mm-hmm. I guess my point here is, is that I sympathize with people that feel triggered or I sympathize with people that have their feelings hurt because I think there's a lot of things out there right now that are really hurtful. And I think we're all actually really sensitive and I'm not condoning violence and, and, and taking a knife, but words do have this strange power, or maybe it's not strange at all, where um, they, they, they feel maybe because the emotional damage is so intense that it, it almost feels like a wound to the chest. Yeah. I don't, I didn't have a question at all, but I'm just, I, I was hoping that, that what, that you were, I was going to say something that would make you think about something, but I just, I think that I could elaborate. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know. I just think it's really, I think feelings and you, you work in this world of feelings where yeah. I think you have to probably respect where everybody's coming from because, you know, to, to your one point, you know, we can feel very narcissistic in this world, but they are my feelings. And this is how I'm feeling out of, about a particular uh, event or person. So you have to, um, respect that. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one thing you're, you're kind of bringing up is just the, what are the different spheres that you're having a conversation about your feelings and, and kind of what's an appropriate space to have a conversation about, you know, quote unquote, feeling triggered. Um, I was just listening to a podcast actually yesterday about, therapists sort of shaming each other online. <laughs> oh my God, that's really appropriate. Uh, yeah, well, and it was so funny because I really, it, it is a thing that happens in a lot of uh, these sort of like online therapy groups where someone will, will pose a question or will say something and, you know, other therapists respond in such a way that is really not very empathetic or understanding or creating space for everyone to have their unique opinions and it just kind of highlights for me the the difficulty of having kind of somewhat personal conversations in a public space like a Facebook group or uh on Instagram you know and so I think it's it's about trying to figure out you know especially given the sort of political climate that, that we live in, where there's a lot of people who are really angry and, you know, feel really upset with how the state of the world is and for, for good reason. But I think it's, it's a, it's a matter of when can you have a conversation, like what is the safe space to have a conversation 
and what is going to result in people actually listening to each other versus just shaming each other for their positions, which is, of course, highly unproductive. Yeah, I can't imagine that they, they may not be colleagues of yours, but just this idea that there are other therapists that um, are shaming one another online and you know, newscasters or political leaders or, you know, having these conversations um, in a public forum isn't the same as having a face-to-face conversation. It's just, it's just sort of, no wonder, um, the, I don't know, it's, it's, do you, th- sort of back to my original point, do you think the world is as bad as, as it feels or do you think it's always sort of been good and bad? Oh, man. Uh, that's a pretty big question. No, I, I know. Well, I mean, it's weird. Like, well, I, I struggle. Like, well, it feels yeah. like it feels like the news media and the news and the media uh, sort of want this constant state of distress. Sure. And I was just in Kauai celebrating my birthday like a couple weeks ago, and didn't have the news on. I mean, and I'm pretty uh, aware of. I give myself, you know, 10 minutes of news time and that's about it. 10 minutes of Twitter. But it's almost like this this world we live in sort of it's perpetuating this stressful society. Like it, it like it thrives on anxiety. And when sure. I was in Kauai for 6 days, um, you know, I I I didn't know about anything going on and I often say to myself if we avoided all of this toxic energy if we just sort of, and it's not about living in a bubble, but uh, how much of the world sort of thrives uh, on having us sort of be anxious and worried? Sure. So that's yeah. that's sort of something I think about. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a, a great question and is something that I do talk a lot about with my clients too, just in terms of how to kind of strike a balance of, staying engaged, but also whether it's like with news or, you know, um, even just kind of facing, you know, one sort of inner demons or trauma is, is how do you kind of strike a balance between, you know, looking at the news and getting so dysregulated that you feel hopeless about the world or, you know, doing so much trauma work (laughs) that you're, you feel like you're living in a space of like, re-traumatizing yourself and not having new experiences and, you know, reinvigorating your life in some way. And I think it really is just about creating a balance to, to kind of have the, you know, not like not having blinders on, but being able to kind of take things in and then kind of close things out and, and have there be some kind of a, an internal regulation system that, that you've created that works for you. Yeah. Were you like, think back, um, how long have you been a therapist for? Well, it's a good question. I have been in private practice since 2018. And then before that, I was in some more kind of community mental health and nonprofit spaces. Uh, but yeah, private practice since 2018. Were how was that first year or two? Because, you know, I'm thinking about your friends feeling comfortable telling you some intimate details. Sure, sure. And and I can tell just talking to you now that you do have this grace and ease in which you communicate, and I can tell you're listening. Uh, but it's it must have felt like a whole other animal or beast when you're actually going into an office and somebody don't know is is coming to you for advice sure so well i'm lucky that i i'm lucky that i and i think that's that's a kind of a broad question about like what's it like to to be a therapist and i think uh if i'm understanding the the question correctly i think it, it did feel like a lot of pressure in the beginning and definitely gets a lot easier as you kind of understand that you're never going to have all the answers. It's not necessarily that my clients are coming to me, you know, for advice as much as it is that they expect that I have some kind of training and, you know, expertise and license and grad school and all the hours of, you know, work that I've put into this, but also that 
but I will be able to hold space for them and really just listen to them and then try and work towards creating solutions that will work for them and trying to, you know, come up with something kind of collaboratively with, again, an integration of, of the skills and training that I have, but also just on a human level, having someone to help you and support you and also kind of challenge you, I think can be enormously transformative for people. So once, once I kind of started thinking about it on that level and, and kind of got out of my way of thinking I needed to know every single criteria for every diagnosis that might exist in the DSM that might walk through my office and then present with a certain set of problem, you know, they're just people that I'm talking to people. I'm a human being. I've had a whole life of talking to people and relating to people. And so trying to understand that I have experience sitting with people and listening to people. That's kind of what I needed to rely on in the beginning really helped me get through some of that early anxiety and just the, you know, imposter syndrome of like, how can I help someone with their, with their problems? If I'm also like a human being in the world with my own problems. Yeah. So, and, and wonderful supervisors and, you know, great training and all of that. So. Looking back on my time in therapy, I had really great experiences, but I think it's, it's so valuable to, to, find somebody, whether it's a partner or, or a therapist, to tackle and, and, and talk and talk it out. I, I think, and that's why I think journaling is really, I love to journal, you know, just why is it, give me some reasons or examples of, of just the benefits of just sort of like letting it out, be it going for a walk or run, uh, seeing you or, or journaling, what, what sort of, what's the almost um, neurological effect that 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 has well, why is that so important of, of just kind of like processing and like sh- like showing up for yourself in a way or you know, yeah but but also just like sort of like vomiting it all out getting it out whether it's you know just yeah. like journaling or seeing you or calling a friend I mean why is that process of just getting it out so helpful and and, and important yeah I think one of the main things that at least my sort of theoretical orientation around therapy relies on is this idea of making the unconscious conscious. So trying to understand the parts of our psyche that otherwise are unconscious and are, are going to be kind of ruling our lives without us really knowing. And sometimes it can truly be as simple as, like you said, just vomiting it out and just trying to process and trying to sort of put words to the things that might not totally make sense and that we're still kind of, you know, having some sense of internal conflict around and don't really understand, but you have to first get to the place of making something conscious so that you can change it and so that you can improve it. And so that you can, you know, get yourself back into a place of balance where things might be feeling like they're out of balance or like something is just not, not feeling right with you or you don't feel like yourself, for example. Yeah. And I was curious about psychodynamic therapies and object yeah. and object relations. It, like, what does that I mean? I know the jargon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, just ex- explain those to me a little bit. Sure. So, psychodynamic is kind of what I just sort of explained, but is also a, a larger umbrella term for most types of therapies that believe that the unconscious sort of informs the present and believe that exploring some realm of, you know, your unconscious experience is going to kind of help you in the present. So uh, depth psychology, object relations psychology, these are all kind of like under a, a psychodynamic umbrella. And again, you know, there's sort of different ways of defining some of the different theories, but within psychodynamic therapy, it's a lot about how the past informs the present, whereas some other therapies are much less concerned with the past or, or have a kind of different conceptualization of the past. And then object relations therapy 
it's a, I love object relations therapy. I, I work from an object relations perspective and a kind of attachment based perspective, but it's the jargon behind it is kind of a little bit, um, uh, frustrating because it's objects. It's basically, uh, you can replace the word object with person. So it's really just about how people relate to each other. And the Melanie Klein was one of the sort of pioneers of objects relation, object relations therapy. And she kind of explained it in the sense of that it's how you internalize someone and how you kind of create a picture of that person that is kind of around the language of her using objects. So it's sort of like, how you, the picture of someone that you have and how you relate to that, that person, that picture, that object. So again, it's even, it's difficult for me to even explain the language around it, but at its core, it's about relationships, how people relate to each other. It's has a lot of really interesting um, explanations for some of the psychological components of, you know, attachment theory, which is a kind of a, a popular sort of pop psychology term right now in terms of, yeah. I don't know if you've, have you ever read this book attached that no. everybody loves? It's a, it's a great book. Okay. Okay, I love it too. Um, but yeah, attachment theory is a, a way to kind of explain different people's attachment styles and relationships. Are you anxiously attached? Or are you avoidantly attached? And, um, all of this kind of stems more broadly from object relations theory and attachment theory and how we all kind of, uh, you know, create a picture of someone as like all good or all bad and like how it's difficult to kind of integrate a more holistic picture of someone and how we kind of have these mechanisms of splitting. And, you know, it's, again, there's a lot of interesting theories that, if given kind of a clinical vignette, I could go through with you, but it's basically just about how people relate to each other and, and also kind of posits that we all have a need for connection and that our um, rejections that we've experienced in our lives shape us dramatically and that, mm. you know, we're all kind of, you know, looking for that acceptance and that sort of like sense of connection. So, yeah. How much do you think is... Um one of the issues is just listening. I, I feel like so much of, of our problems, quote unquote, are we just need somebody to listen and the people in our lives aren't very good at it. Yeah, I think that listening is a huge part of of both, you know, being an effective therapist, but also of, of being an effective partner, of being a, a good kind of friend, of being someone who is available and is, you know, just trying to understand what the person in front of you is going through. I think that's hugely important. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I've sent texts out to different people in my life over the last few months and, um, there's, they're my friends, but you know, I, I, often I didn't get a response you know, like just checking in and then I would call them like hey, a couple weeks later and leave a message. And But I don't know. I just think I'm, I'm relatively stable mentally. But I think it's really important when friends reach out or check in. Like I know we're all busy. I know we have all these devices. I know we have email to check and 10 social media platforms to look at. And I think also we sort of like lump everybody into sort of like one um, almost – it's not even a human. It's it's sort of like it's all just incoming information, and we're just almost like our we're all like robotic in the way that we just are a typewriter. We just like read it next line, read it next line. We're just like swiping, swiping, swiping. And I just think it's really important. Um, and this sort of goes to my point about listening. Like we have to sort of do those daily check-ins. Like, hey, did this guy John actually need something, or was it? It's it's weird. It's it's a strange yeah. strange phenomenon that's happened in the way that we receive information and and sort of differentiating from is this a human being or is this just like another spam? Yeah. No. I mean, as you were talking, that that's what was coming up for me is just this idea that we forget that when we're communicating with people there's a person, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that we're all so busy, that it, it is easy to kind of get a little bit wrapped up and not sort of treat people like human beings that deserve a response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
but yeah, the listening component I think is, is huge. And I often remind myself of that if I'm ever feeling stuck with a client or I'm not sure kind of how to best help them, or I'm kind of maybe like hitting a wall with whatever, you know, interventions I'm trying to use with them. I'll just kind of come back to the, the idea that at the very base, I know I can listen and I know I can listen well, and that that is actually really powerful and really helpful. A lot of the times it's, it has its limits, yeah. <laughs> but, but again, at the, at the kind of core psychotherapy is about the relationship between, you know, two people. And it starts with that you have to really listen to people. So the one other thing I'll say about that, that's so interesting to me is that I remember listening to professors of mine talk about different theories in grad school and trying to kind of, you know, early, early therapist, me trying to figure out which ones made the most sense to me and kind of what I was most drawn to. And then they illustrated through statistics, this idea that it doesn't actually matter what theory you, you use, that they're all about the same level of effectiveness, but that what is the most, maybe not exactly, but that basically the, the most important component of, you know, quote unquote, transformation or having a, you know, a positive therapeutic outcome is the therapeutic relationship itself. And that it trumps all the other statistics in terms of like the factors of if it's a, you know, this type of therapist, or if they're using this theory or that theory, and that what is the most important is the therapeutic relationship and the connection that you have with the person. So yeah. That always is helpful for me if I'm feeling like, oh, what, what can I do? And how can I, you know, improve upon, you know, what we're doing in treatment is just like remembering that a lot of it is just about the, the relationship and, and really being present in that relationship does start with good listening. The last couple of things I'm thinking, and I'll let you go. Do you ever have the, that moment after therapy? And I'm going to tell you a personal story and I have to get your opinion about it. Do you ever have that moment like, oh, I wish I would have said this or... Um, like, cause you only have an hour or 50 minutes or I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot at stake in just that hour. That hour. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, the one way that I like to think about working with my clients is that it's a continuous conversation. And yeah. so yes, from week to week, I work with most of my clients weekly, week to week, a lot can happen but typically we're working on pretty similar things and typically we come back to similar themes in someone's life or again, we'll kind of revisit, you know, how this person's goals are going or, you know, what's happening in the sort of arena of their life. And so it does feel like you can kind of pick back up and, and even if it doesn't feel natural, another thing that I try and do in my work with clients is, which is kind of maybe unique to, being a therapist uh, versus in my personal relationships, I might not do this in the same exact kind of direct way. Right. But if let's say I said something that I felt like maybe didn't land well on the client, or maybe I felt like I offended someone or hurt someone's feelings or, you know, provided an interpretation that was a little bit maybe more challenging than the person was expecting or something felt just off, then I'll bring it up and I'll ask mm. them about how that felt to them. And, you know, not in a defensive way, but I'll, I'll own the responsibility of recognizing that, you know, maybe I did say something that, that offended them or, or that, you know, hurt their feelings or something like that. And I'll try and work towards repairing that relationship. And it usually only deepens the relationship because most people mm. aren't offended by the thing that you think offended them, it's usually something that, you know, you're, I mean, at least for me that I'm like overthinking because I tend to overthink oh things a little bit. Yeah. Uh, most of the times if I do bring up something, a client will say, Oh, I had no idea. Like what? You, I didn't think twice about that, but they usually appreciate the fact that, you know, so that I'm bringing something up or if there was something that, that happened and there was some kind of a rupture, it's almost always repairable with goodwill and with, again, like trying to listen and understand and trying to, again, own your part for being a human being that is capable of, of potentially hurting someone's feeling, especially in a, a super vulnerable space like therapy. So I, I had to end with this, with, I just, honestly, I just thought of the story yesterday 
Um, yeah. So I had a, a wonderful therapist in my 20s who um, I was diagnosed with a lot of anxiety. Just No, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease when I was in my teens. And it really, um, I'm knock on wood in great health now, at least physically. Um, but it did create a lot of anxiety that I deal with still to this day. And, and I guess I think that's something I think about a lot is, um, you know, anxiety is kind of always there. Um, I, I have mm-hmm. sort of these hyperbolic anxieties about a lot of things. Um, there's this powerful line in a Tom Petty song. Uh, he says, most things I worry about never happen anyway which I think yeah. is, I just, I always thought was really profound. Um, so I had this, I had this great therapist and then he got really sick and I was probably seeing him for five or six years and he got really sick with, with his autoimmune condition. So mm-hmm. he referred me to his colleague and she was much older. I think she was probably in her late seventies and she was okay. Um, but I wasn't connecting with her like I did with him. And, and honestly, I felt a, a bit of anxiety, and I was pretty troubled around that time because I, I felt sort of um, not neglected, but I did feel a little bit of like separation anxiety because he was somebody that I really counted on, and he was, going, he was going through health issues. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough because um, yeah. he really helped me evolve and, and helped me get through some anxiety. So... Uh, then this older woman referred me to somebody that had just sort of graduated or like had just it just started her practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I liked her. She was pretty good. Um, but we were on in like, like her fourth or fifth, maybe sixth to tenth. I'm not quite sure exactly. Um, session. And, yeah. and I'm talking and she fucking yawns. Sure. I couldn't go back. I literally, and I, I, I could not go to somebody who's yawning in my fucking therapy session. And sure. And I, I remember her calling because like a few weeks had gone by. Because yeah. I was on a weekly thing, uh, uh, regimen, uh, or or pattern or whatever the word is, and she calls me. And she's just checking in to see how everything's going and, and just because I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. And I don't know if this, I get, sometimes I feel this strange urge to be honest up towards somebody if they hurt my feelings. Like it's, it's weird. I don't think that's a strange urge. I okay. think that's a healthy. You think yeah. that's, a, so I remember telling, I remember calling her back and I said, uh, I don't know how rude, rude or vitriolic I was. I mean, I was really pissed off. And I said, yeah. I, I said, you know why I'm not calling you back and why I'm not seeing you? I'm not going to see you anymore is because mm-hmm. you yawned in our therapy session. And I felt so mm-hmm. small and stupid. And uh, I can't see you anymore. <laughs> and... and and she understood, and I and I said, you know, maybe this will be some sort of learning experience for you, where you know to drink an extra Coca Cola or coffee before class or before session. But I just, I just felt like I can't. That, that I just took that too personally. I, I don't know why. Sure. I don't know if I'm being completely ridiculous, yeah. but I, yeah, I guess sort of like to something I brought up earlier with you. I just, I think that's such an intimate space, and um, totally. I, I don't know. Have, have, <laughs> Do you think I was being overreactionary or or we all have our own shit and that's how I reacted? Oh, I can't say I mean I wouldn't I would never say you're being overreactionary. That yeah. would be not my place. But I think that, you know, kind of to to my point earlier about like you're saying, just the vulnerability of the therapeutic space, I think that it maybe would have been worth like trying to work through some hmm. of that with your therapist, because there is a really kind of prime example of you feeling, you know, really hurt. And like you said, kind of made to feel small in this moment. And that is potentially a pretty important thing to work through what some of that, what, what's kind of coming up for you in that moment with that person, with the, with that person, not with 
you know, an ex or a parent or whatever, but like with that person. And so that's, again, kind of this idea of using the therapeutic relationship as another component for change within therapy. And it doesn't always work. You could have gone back, you know, and tried to have a session and like really hashed it out and still felt dismissed and like it wasn't a match. But I think that's the the sort of beauty of the relationship is that you get to have that honesty and you get to say, Hey, you know what? I actually was really hurt when this happened. Is that helpful for this? Can we, can we work it out or what do you think? You know? So yeah. that would be my, my kind of uh, take on that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think maybe I'll call her now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So where can people, I remember you always, I, it's funny. I like deleted my social media and then I like unfollowed everybody because it, like to your point, it became sens- sensory overload, but I do recall you being really funny. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I just, I remember you being silly and goofy all the time, which I always thought. Oh, was I appreciate that. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So, so where can people find, I mean, I can always email this to you, but where can people find you uh, online or, or like your website and, and et cetera? Sure. Yeah. Well, so I pretty much just have my public therapy website, which is GaiaWoodsTherapy.com. And then, and it's uh, spelled G-A-E-A. It's yeah. a little bit of, it's the Greek spelling. I'm not Greek. I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they went with that one. Um, and then I also still have my photography website, which is GaiaWoods.com. So you can check out my photography there. And then, yeah, all this talk of social media, none of my social media is public. It's all private. So I yeah. don't, um, I don't have like a therapy page or anything like that at this time. So I just yeah. try and focus on uh, work stuff and just sharing photos of, you know, personal life stuff on my, on my personal space. So, so yeah, so just GaiaWoodsTherapy.com and then GaiaWoods.com for, yeah. for photography. Privacy. That's a whole other, a whole other word and area that I just, didn't... I know. What is that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's just, it's, it's crazy how it's just, everything needs to be revealed. So are you doing like, yeah. are you doing photography right now? Or that's, that's sort of on the side. Yeah, I am doing photography. I got a camera after five months of it being backordered with supply chain yeah. and stuff. I'm really happy about my new camera that I finally got. Um, I am doing some photography. I've been working on a book project for Oh man, a number of years. Uh, and it's sort of a joke that I even say that I'm working on it because it's, you know, sitting on hard drives and sort of haunting me, but I'm allowing my life to lead me in different directions. But I do have a, a project that will eventually be completed once I finish it. Um, and then just hobby, just like personal life photos yeah. with, you know, for family, you know, just for fun. Do you so, still do, yeah. do you still do like shoots and that like out, like, you know, like artsy? I still shoot. Yeah. The, the portrait project that I'm working on is, uh, it's Los Angeles based artists with their cars. So I'm, I want to photograph a hundred artists and I've gotten to 77 is the number I've been at for a while. Uh, I feel like, so, I feel like either, yeah. I feel like I know about this project or Jen maybe told me, I don't know. Is it, or maybe it's, is it I've something? I've been shooting it for a while. It's going to be quite an archive by the time uh, it's completed. Okay. So yeah. I, then you told me about it. Gosh, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been going for a while. I've had, uh, you know, a lot of life updates since I started the project. So it's kind of taken a, a backseat, but, um, but yeah, that's a nice project that I've been working on for a while. So when I do those shoots, that's more of a, Sort of structured shoot, but otherwise I just shoot pretty casually. Cool. Great. Well, Gaia, it was really good to talk to you and see you. Yeah, you as well. It's so nice that we get to do it over Zoom. I know people don't get to to see the video, but it's so nice to see you in your space and to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you. Yeah, it's 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 I don't know if it's a time thing. I could certainly, I, I edit video, but I think it's nice to just have an experience that's just for the ears. I think everything is so visually based these days. So, yeah. And I, I love list, I love listening to podcasts without having to see, like see them talking. I, I don't know. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 yeah but, but obviously it was, it was good to see you. So, uh, yeah. well, cool. Well, this will, you know, this will post probably like in a week or so, but I, it, it was great to see you and talk to you. And I think these are, 
important chats to have now. And and I thought I thought it was cool to have a professional on the show and and give their perspective. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to uh, hearing it and to continuing to listen. And I've got to order your book. Your book uh, looks hilarious. I it looks great. I the first line or two after reading it. It took, it took me a second to sort of get the humor of it. I wasn't sure if you were being serious. Wait, very, like, it, for, <laughs> yeah. wait where, where did you read? Like, I, saw, I'll, I can just send you a copy also. It's, Ooh, I would, yeah. yeah. I think it was in, yeah, you mentioned it in your podcast, I suppose, or maybe it was. Yeah, no, but I was wondering. Sure where I found it. Yeah. No, but I was wondering where you read, like, the, uh, did you go on, on, like, to Amazon or something? Oh, I went to Amazon. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. Yes, Gaia, come on. It's a satire. It's not. Well, I, I realized that <laughs> pretty quickly in, but in the beginning, I was a little bit uh, thrown for a second, but I, I realized quickly. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> no. Hey, what, what's funny? I'm sorry. I keep saying I'll let you go, but it's just, it's interesting to write satire because, um, especially with yoga in LA because it's so ridiculous out here that uh, it actually does seem real sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well I, no, I would lo- I'd love to send you a copy. I'll send you one. Oh, I'll, I'll take it. That sounds great. Yeah. 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 So um, I'll email you, et cetera. But anyway, thanks great. again. And I'll, I'll talk Thank to you. you soon. Great to see you. Okay. Bye. Nice to see you. Bye. Bye.